This week on the podcast, we name our Mr. September, rate the years of the non-finalists and discuss all things All-Australian while Christian Jolly hands out champion data's end-of-season awards. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another week of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. My name is Matt Walsh in the host chair for today, and I'm joined by Neil Seawang. Neil, how are you? Really good. Pretty pumped that finals are almost upon us. It's almost a shame that they're not this week. Jake Michaels, wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. You might hear a little bit more about that just a little later on. I've teased that quite well, haven't I? You have. And Christian Jolly from Champion Data, how are you? Yeah, going well. Uh, what did you make of the weekend's action specifically? I'm going to ask you, the whole table here, but specifically, which was the biggest result for the weekend for you? Um, I don't know about the biggest result, but... I mean, Bulldogs, just another week of sort of showing how strong they are. Again, Adelaide were, were woeful, but they were playing, you know, a genuine chance to play finals going into that game. That The 40-odd, 40-to-zip start by the Bulldogs mm. sort of It was showed, over in five minutes, really. Because I haven't been quick to turn on the Bulldogs, sort of, you know, I haven't been as high on them as you have been, Matt, during the year. <laughs> but watching their last three or four weeks, I'm like, yep, they're, they're genuinely a chance to do some damage in the finals now. Mm. I think West Coast is the obvious I mean, yeah, one, I was isn't about it? I mean, the exact same thing. That was just... Horrific. Shot themselves in the foot. I mean, yeah. you have a double chance on the line and, you know, a bit of home passage through the final if things go well. And all of a sudden now they're staring it down the, the barrel of a home final in the first week. Yes, but if they're to win through, they've got to go to the um, two, uh, on, the, on the road three times. Well, that's right. They go from being pretty much co-favourites to win the flag to now being a massive long shot. They've got to now do what the Doggies did. If not, it's, it's going to be harder because at least the Doggies, yes, they had to play the grand final in the MCG, but West Coast, you have to play three interstate. That's a bloody hard thing. It was just a classic Clarko masterclass, wasn't it? Well, it um, seemed to be. That one. It seemed to be, didn't it? <laughs> um, before we start having fights in the studio here, mm. it is time to get into our first segment. It's time for three on three. Uh, this is the time of the podcast where we look at the three biggest topics uh, of the week and spend uh, roughly three minutes talking about them. I don't um, think we've ever stuck to three minutes on each topic. I think the closest we've ever come... It preface each one by saying three minutes because that wastes about... Well, that, that was the seconds. idea of the segment originally and it's kind of ballooned out to three times three on three, if that makes sense. Um, but it is now, as what we sort of said at the top, it's the most wonderful time of the year because the sun's slowly starting to shine a bit more the birds are out singing spring is in the air and the league's best teams are sort of out to duke it out for premiership glory but if we're going to park the teams to the side for a minute I want to sort of ask you guys who you think your Mr. September is going to be that is the player who's going to have the biggest impact throughout the final series Neil I there's the, uh, the one thing I'll, I will say is I love the fact that some of the best players in the competition right now are playing at their absolute best um, and for me I think the biggest Mr. September will be Brody Grundy from the Pies. I think the fact that they've got such a dominant um, ruckman in a specialised position just gives them a huge point of difference against their rivals. You look at Geelong, the Tigers, the Giants, um, the Dogs, they've all got workman-like... They don't have dominant um, ruckman. Journeyman. Journeyman. <laughs> yes, Even the work. Eagles as well. I mean. Even the Eagles, unless Nick Nat comes back and he's a risk, oh, so... I Grundy is the best ruckman in the competition right now. Um, he is in the form of his life. And you forget how powerful the the Magpies midfield is. So if he can give them first use, 
and then become another midfielder, which he's done all season, done for a couple of years. I think he, he can be the biggest point of difference in terms of a positional dominant force. And I, I just love what what he's doing. And I think he's going to step up even more. It's a good point. He is probably like far and away the best Ruckman sort of left in the pool well, of teams. Well, who's the next best? Well, yes, right now, but, but yeah. what does that say? Does that say that, that Collingwood are going to have an advantage? Or is that saying that other teams have clearly shown that you can do it without a Ruckman probably or without a, a frontline Ruckman? Probably to a point. But I think if you've got a dominant player in a, in a specialised position, that really helps. That can only be a positive. Correct. It's going to be one of those ones if Brody Grundy starts to get on top of a team, it's going to be hard to stop him because you don't have anything sort of in your arsenal to combat him. Jake, what say you? Because you're not too crash hot on the influence that Ruckman have these days. No, it's not that. But I think if you look at... We were talking about this earlier. Um, you look at Gorn and Grundy. They're the two clear um, top Ruckman in the comp. And what they did in round 23 was exceptional. But they kind of go beyond what the traditional Ruckman does. They, you know, Gorn kicked three goals and he had 20 contested possessions. You know, Grundy's always tackling, winning clearances. You know, so they don't just... They're not just tap Ruckman that do that and then they're almost a liability around the ground. So I think from that point of view, they're very unique. But most other Ruckman, I mean, we've seen in recent years, you know, the Tigers and the Dogs, you know, they, they don't need a, an out-and-out Ruckman to go on and win a flag. It is fascinating. Uh, while we've got you, who is your Mr. September? Well, i got two, as I generally like to do. But I think <laughs> Neil... Cover t- bases. <laughs> well, Neil touched on it before that I think this is... It's, it's actually really exciting because we're heading into finals now with some of the competition's best players in red-hot form. And I think over the last three weeks heading into into the finals, the two best players have probably been Dusty Martin and Paddy Dangerfield, who would most people would say are probably the two best players in the comp. They are playing brilliantly well. They both of them have claims to have have three votes in each of the last three games, um, and I think they're both going to light it up in September. And just picture this: imagine if it is a Richmond Geelong grand final, which is the expected grand final, if you like, at this point. Imagine those two lining up on each other, start of the game. I mean, they're not going to tag each other, but they're going to probably play on each other, and both coaches would back their man to win. I mean, that could be one of the greatest battles of all time. We saw, on the, we saw on the weekend that both of them had moments where they'd sort of burst out of the middle, and uh, you know, Dangerfield kicked that goal within about 10 seconds of, of the opening bounce, and, and Martin hits Revolt on one of the best leads. Without bouncing, but <laughs> story for another day. Pens through that. Um, <laughs> but you just sort of see, like, they, they sort of exude that, that finals confidence, and, yeah. and it's a really good oh, They're going to be big players, him. and they, I mean, they have. Dusty's obviously, you know, he did it in 2017, and, and Danger always plays. As well, so I mean, they're going to be two of the best players to watch throughout September. The the big difference between those two is the fact that Dusty has played at his best through a final series before, whereas Dangerfield has had a few down finals, much like the team that he plays for. So it'll be really interesting to see if he has a bad half or a bad you know quarter, will Dangerfield be able to actually lift himself up? And he doesn't have that base level of confidence of having done that through a whole final series before. Just play him in the midfield, Chris Scott. You heard it here first. <laughs> Christian, have you got a Mr. September for us? Yes, I've got a little bit of a different angle. Uh, I've got him for someone that's probably not in red-hot form at the moment, but I just think could do some damage if it all sort of clicks for him. And that's Josh Kennedy at the Eagles. Um, and again, probably a bit of a risky one, because if they get knocked out first week, he won't have much impact in the finals. But <laughs> we missed August. <laughs> uh, <laughs> correct. Uh, but I feel like yeah, he, if he has a big one on... Um, on th- next Thursday night against Essendon, um, you know he he could set himself up to be sort of a key for West Coast going forward. So, and sort of talk about his form. So he's only he's only kicked multiple goals in three of his last eight games. One of those was a bag of seven about six or seven weeks ago. So he hasn't, as I said, hasn't been kicking a lot of goals. Hasn't probably looked the sharpest this year, but I still think he's the type of player that doesn't need much opportunity to kick your six or seven goals and have a big night. I think the extra attention on Jack Darling now, who's had a great year and maybe an All Australian um, this season might almost help Kennedy because 
people tend to it's all about that recency we talk about it all the time people almost forget how good Kennedy is and he's one of the best key forwards in the comp but all the attention is going to go to Correct. Darling so now because of how well he's playing I think Darling's starting to attract the number one defender so mm. I think yeah Josh Kennedy sort of might so be able to get off the, under the radar. Way, yeah. mm, I agree with your recency bias theory because my nomination for Mr. September is a Collingwood player as well he hasn't played for 10 weeks, and that's Jaden Stevenson. And I, I think like it. when he went out of the side um, after that indiscretion came to light, I think it was pretty evident straight away how much that impacted the structure of Collingwood's forward line. And you sort of saw they really struggled to score, generate scoring opportunities for a period of sort of five, six, seven weeks before they um, slowly got it back together. I think they played the Suns, so they sort of played themselves back into form. And now the Pies have the double chance as well. Mm. Um, and, Which is and huge, because there massive. was a point where we thought, gee, they could finish sixth or seventh here. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And, and now that he's also had a run through the VFL, make of that whatever you want. I mean, obviously that's a, a bit of a touchy subject, but mm-hmm. um, he'll be better for the run and, and will slot straight back into that side and could be a really, really valuable X factor for the Pies. You, yeah. for, you forget how, how good he was. You think he's always oh, just a young player and, he, and he's a role player, but I think he was number one and number two for Collingwood this year for um, forward 50 targets, forward 50 wins, um, tackles inside 50, score involvements. Mm. Like All these key um, KPIs, he was right up there for Collingwood. And and he's just going to be, make such a huge impact if he can get into form quickly and get that touch and feel. And you're right, being being missing for those eleven weeks is going to make it harder for the opposition to plan for him because he's sort of, sort of going to look at Collingwood and what they've been doing without him, but sort of going, all right, what have they been doing well without him to get to finals? But then what are they going to bring back, yeah. bringing him into it? So Do you look at of... games from round five or six, or I mean, it's kind of hard. You, you, the opposition analysis is going to be pretty tough to do, and um, yeah, I just think he's going to have a, a bit of X factor about him in September. Um, but moving away from finalists really briefly, just because we do have the bye week, so we can discuss the also-rans, so to speak, uh, I want to ask you guys how you rated each year of each non-finalist, uh, and who, or which team rather, has reason to be most optimistic in 2019. Who'd like to kick us off? I can. So how are we doing this exactly? We're going to go through every team, or are we going to pick our team that we well, think? Well, maybe list which team you think uh, has more most to be optimistic about first, and then we can kind of give reasons why and, and make our way down the list. Well, I know Port Adelaide was really disappointing in the sense they were so inconsistent throughout the year, and they were. They had that, that streak of win-loss, win-loss, win-loss that went on for about 12 weeks. But I think we saw a lot of their young talent. They've got three or four young players under 21 that are going to be serious players for this club for the next 10, 12 years. I mean, you can look at the forward line and say it's kind of a little bit, you know, you're not sure what you're going to get. Charlie Dixon in and out of the side, whether he's injured or just can't get a game. He's a frustrating player as well. But I think when it all does click, and hopefully it does for them next year, they're going to be a really good side because they do have the players that can take them into a finals campaign and deep into a finals campaign, I think. Yeah, Port Adelaide were my team as well. And I looked at sort of the one number for me that sort of holds them in good stead, 105.4% they finished the season at. So that shows they, they have, they've won the season. They've outscored their opposition across the season. So you're right, that consistency is their biggest issue. I kind of see that a little bit a bit above the shoulders. So looking at their 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 list, their list profile, the way they play, I think they've got a lot of strengths there and a lot of things to work on. Uh, another number I sort of looked at their average winning margin when they when they could win a game was thirty eight points. That was the second highest of any team. So they they did blow a few teams off the park. And they had some great wins as well. They beat some really good sides. West Coast uh, at Optus Stadium Geelong. in Geelong. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. so I I don't rate their season too too highly because of the consistency factor but going into next year if you know you're talking about stocks and buying and selling I'd be buying some stocks in Port again I, I'm not 100% sure on how I still think Port have got such an unbalanced list I'm not, I know that they stripped it back a little bit last year um, but they're not my nomination my nomination is um, Hawthorne um, they, they finished ninth. 
Jake's about to walk out of the room. Um, not a big Clarko. <laughs> not, not a big Clarko fan. They fi- talk about percentage. They, they went fin- from fourth to ninth. They finished ninth with a percentage of 109, and they lost the Brownlow medalist. Um, so I think they've got, and they discovered a lot of a lot of really good young talent. We're talking pre-podcast about Warple. Yeah, he's a great player. Um, the fact that they've got um, Blake Hardwick's been a really good player down back. Um, O'Brien, they've got a few Sicily. A little, Sicily, they've got a good spread. They bring back Mitchell, their best midfielder next year. If they can land Canelio, I, I can see them playing really, really strong football last year. They, they had a percentage of 109, so they're actually a pretty decent team. You've taken the words right out of my mouth because oh, did you I was going to say as well? we're Hawthorne as well. And, and the fact that their last month of football was so strong, um, surely someone like Stephen Canelio, who hasn't signed for the Giants yet, and you'd think if he was going to play there next year, you know, he's injured, he's on the sidelines. Why hasn't he signed? Uh, he, he'd be looking at this last month of footy and thinking, geez, you're right, Tom Mitchell comes back in that squad next year. Good group of core younger players as well. I mean, O'Meara, we, we didn't even mention him, but... Mm. Um, Imagine that. Mitchell Mitch O'Meara, Lewis. Mitchell O'Meara, Warpedo and... Um, Canelio. And Canelio. That would be there. a handy... And, and, and you Chad see, Wingard just thrown yeah. in there every, every can, once can in a while. Can you see why we're optimistic now? I mean, no, you can't. They overachieved well, look, last, not there at the moment. So. They, they overachieved last year with a top four finish. Mm. I think everyone I think kind of right. agree with that. Yeah. Um, so that probably wasn't a fair indication of where they were. They sort of fell into fourth. I mean, that's kind of harsh, but they, they kind of did. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this is a bit of a bit of a, a grounding year. Obviously, they lost Mitchell. And, and next year, I think they've got re- a lot to be optimistic about. For me, Hawthorne finished where I thought they'd finished. I, I thought they would be ninth. I, I didn't think they'd make finals. I didn't think they'd be a poor side. But, I mean, I think you're guilty of the recency bias as well because you're talking about the last month. And they have been good in the last month, but they were poor earlier in the season. They lost a lot of games where where they were just, just played really average football. That game against Carlton down in Tasmania, my goodness, they were shocking in that, and they just fell over the line. I mean, they, they had a lot of poor games. I know we, I know they finished the season quite strong and had a nice win over the Eagles, but I think there's, there, it might not be as, as great as it does look in the last Are month. you optimistic about the Blues next year? Yeah, I am. Oh, speaking I, of, of recency bias, I mean, they're, well, they're back even, half of the year. You're looking at looking at that in, in isolation. Yeah, I am. But I'm. But again, I'm looking at Carlton. I didn't think Carlton would win seven games. I thought Carlton would win four. So, I, I from that point of view, I think that's impressive. And, and obviously, winning them all in a to to get a new coach in, change a few things around, and actually win seven six games in in twelve. Oh, weeks, um, yeah. I mean, that that's quite impressive for a side that. Most people expect it to finish bottom two. Uh, a few I, words on. I think. Some I think. Re- sorry. T- sorry to interrupt. I think recency bias is is a fair. I, I don't think there's nothing too bad with it, recency bias because you often judge teams that come home with a wet sail or or drop You're off. Right, you you're often judging forward to next season. Yeah, yeah and yeah. you sort of think, oh, you don't think about how they performed in round one or two because things change so much. Yeah. So you often look at their last six, eight weeks. So I think that's no, probably that's The other one that I sort of, yeah, with the recency bias with Hawthorne, it's probably fair enough because in the recent times, they've beaten Giants and West Coast who were two teams that were still had things to play for trying to, you know, giant, the Eagles have ended up missing top four. So there's no way, you know, sometimes you can look at that later in the season, you might be getting a few easier run mm. or you're playing teams that are injured. Some of Hawthorne's most impressive wins have come in the last month. So. Uh, a few words on some of the other uh, non-finalists. Adelaide, 10 and 12, finish, Neil. Yeah, shocking. And we um, just a bit of a heads up to our listeners. We're going to be um, releasing our end-of-season analysis for each club um, yep, in the next plug. week or so. Um, and Adelaide, despite the fact that they didn't finish near the bottom, I think they were, were they 10th? 10th. 11th. Uh, yeah, apologies. absolutely shocking year and can only be looked at with a, a pretty harsh grading. The fact that they've got a really old list, the fact that most people assume that they would be pushing deep into September and the, the bottom fell out of their year um, as soon as things got a little bit rocky. So mm. On-field and off-field. On-field and off-field. So many issues at that club right now. Spot on. And I think Melbourne is going to cop, cop a lot of criticism for this year and rightly so, but I think Adelaide is, is not far behind. That was really poor. We, we, sat, we stood here 25 weeks ago and we said, you know, 
Adelaide can probably be top four this year, and yeah. and I don't and yeah. I think a lot of people kind of thought that. If you look at their team on paper, for them not to play finals, that's a huge disappointment. You could you could argue that Adelaide on paper is better than Melbourne. Yeah, the same win lost ten twelve as North Melbourne who uh, parted ways with the coach mid midway through the year. How do we rate North's back end? Yeah, well, again, North pretty well, North's overall season if we want to avoid. Yeah, the but bias. again, North, it, it's hard when you've got a coaching change. I think you kind of have to look at it from that point on because it's so different earlier in the year. But from again, from there, that from Shaw onwards, they've been pretty good. They've they've I think they're about split their games thereabouts. Um, they've been competitive. They haven't been getting blown out like they were earlier in the season, and I think they've got a lot to look forward to next year. So I'm pretty sure from memory, I think in Reece Shaw's time, they're sitting seventh on the ladder since yeah. the times he's been coached, so top eight. And again, sort of we spoke about him a few weeks ago on the pod. The What they've done to their game plan, their forward half, and being able to lock the ball in their forward half, the numbers are starting to look a, a lot like a premiership sort of model. So again, looking at the numbers of North, they had a great turnaround during the season and should go into 2020 with a lot of confidence. Uh, another couple of teams that uh, parted ways with their coaches, Frio and St Kilda both finished 9-13. and 13. I would probably say that the Saints did pretty well with all things considered to yeah, get I nine think a lot wins of, on the year. A lot of people probably didn't, didn't think St Kilda would win that many games. I think Frio's probably the opposite. I think Frio had that great start and all of a sudden that we were talking. Remember we were... Yeah, so, so a lot of the best team saying, in Perth. Uh, yeah, <laughs> crazy as it sounds. Um, but with with the Ross Lyon news of last week and, and everything that's happened there, not sure who's going to coach the club, not sure the players that will stay, the players that they'll be able to get in. Mm. I think they're in a little bit of disarray at the moment, so I, I'm, I'm not sure where they're going to be next year. Do you have more cause to be optimistic about St Kilda than Fremantle then? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think there's a bit more stability. They managed to change their coach. Sorry, they managed to get Richardson out a little bit early because it gets given Ratton, whether Ratton gets the job or not, and he probably does, it's given them much more of a... a, a Good platform of work to see. They've seen ten weeks of what he's done, or, or thereabouts, or whatever it is. Might not might not be that much, but um, yeah, I think there's there's a little bit more optimistic optimism there for the, for the Saints. Neil, you were surprised to learn that Sydney were, had missed the finals for the first time since uh, 2009. Uh, what do we make of their season? Obviously, they blooded a lot of youth. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I personally, I, I think that. For what they've done, I think they fielded the youngest or second youngest team a few times throughout the year. Yeah, definitely in the second half of the season. Yeah. Um, you know, all things considered, I think there's uh, plenty to be happy about uh, at Sydney despite finishing so low. Hugely, hugely positive um, back end of the season. And if I was a Swans fan, I'd be pretty excited about the next, you know, th- two, three, four years. I think that the, the the they didn't just blood kids and perform poorly. A lot of the kids that they played played mm, amazingly yeah. well. So I really and obviously a bit of a changing with the guard with all their retirees. Um, I I really really like what that what the Swans have done. See, I'm a little bit opposite to you. I, okay. I'm I'm a bit uh, worried for them of where are they going to go again. First time they missed finals since '09, so you know they haven't haven't had to rebuild or go through the draft for a number of years. They've always said the the um, narrative coming out of Sydney is they can't be a team that's on the bottom for too many years because they'll lose fans and they'll lose relevance in the city. So I I don't think they're a team that will strip it right back. But it's almost looking like exactly that. They were the youngest team in the second half of the season. They're almost at that stage where you have to sort of strip it back and maybe, you know, spend the next two or three years rebuilding your list for four or five years' time. I don't know if Sydney can be that patient and do that. They're obviously chasing Joe Danaher, which mm. could be a big inclusion. But I just, yeah, I'll be very interested to watch Sydney's off-season to see, all right, are they are they trying to stay, get back to finals next year, or are they going to keep blooding the youngsters? For what helps year? the Swans greatly is that they, they don't need to, you know, collect high draft picks by finishing near the bottom for a couple of years in a row. They can still rise right up the ladder, and as long as they have those academy picks coming through, they can finish They can finish second, third, fifth on the ladder and still get one of the best kids in, in the draft. Yeah, by the, the they've got a good one next year, um, Errol Golden. Um 
this year. I, I mean, I think they've got a couple of guys that will be on their list, but I don't think they've got any sort of top 20 or top 30 this year. Yep. So, yeah, there's mm. probably there's no uh, any more no Heenies or Mills coming through <laughs> immediately. Touch on the Blues, obviously a much better second half of the year, and, and you can kind of see uh, where the development's going to come from next season with, with Teague at the helm. So I think I've got cause to be pretty optimistic about them. Uh, Neil, your mob, the, the Ds, 5 and 17 on the year. Probably not where you probably thought they'd be. <laughs> you is reckon? a fair <laughs> <You> assessment. Reckon? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not that I'm trying to rub it in, but, but you know. Oh, absolutely. Obviously, a number of, it went wrong in a number of areas starting from preseason and the number of surgeries they had, and it just didn't get better. Yeah, and, and I, I still find it really hard to judge how they're going to be looking next year. I, I mean, the, probably one of the biggest questions right now is. Was last season the true Melbourne, or is this season the true Melbourne? Mm. Um, Which was the anomaly. Exactly. So I think you know they've got a new head of fitness. Um, they've got um, Richardson at the helm for to sort of help uh, mentor Goodwin. So there's been a lot of changes. Still a, a youngish list and a lot of quality on that list. So I, I've got optimism that Melbourne will be a lot better. I, I think this year was whatever went could go wrong did go wrong for the Demons, yep. but they've got to show a lot of emotional and and mental strength to make sure that if they start a little bit poorly next year that it doesn't fall in a heap like it has this year. G5 and 17. I mean, we could easily have seen them go 17 and 5. I mean, it's unbelievable. I can't remember a team just being so far off preseason expectations. Fallen 12 places between last year and this year. Yeah. I made um, a similar comment a few weeks ago. I can't think of a team that's surprised me or disappointed me as so many weeks in a row as Melbourne did yeah. this year. Every time I watched them, I thought, they're not that bad. They're not that bad. And by round 14, I'm like, maybe they are. Round 15, oh, they definitely are. They just kept going. just kept getting worse just... and worse. Thankfully, and yeah. thankfully for Melbourne supporters, there was one so, team a lot worse than them yeah, in the Yeah, three wins in the first four weeks and then not another win for the rest of the year. Uh, Gold Coast obviously struggled without some uh, genuine big bodies and, and leadership uh, in their team, Jake. Well, I saw something amusing or kind of amusing on Twitter. It was a um, some some lucky punter or savvy punter had put a bet on Gold Coast to win three or less games for the season. So he would have been a little bit nervous after round four, but <laughs> he held on in the end. Would he ever? Uh, no, they were. They were poor. I mean, they just... They were worse than poor. I think Paul's been kind. The club's in a shambles. They, they don't have any talent on the list. They, they can't get talent there. You they can't them, keep talent. You can't, they can't keep talent. They've got to pay them, overs for talent. Yeah, yeah and there's too many issues. You give them the top 10 picks, and I said this a few weeks ago, you give them the top 10 picks in the next draft, you know, how many are you going to be? there in five years time I mean this is the huge issue that they've got uh, time to speak all Australian we're going to move on uh, spend enough time talking about the non-finalists uh, we're going to talk all Australian the squad of 40 was released on Monday and if you are listening after Wednesday uh, you'll know the team but there were a number of pretty high profile names gents that uh, were stiff omissions from even the squad uh, can you give us one or two that you think uh, should have been in contention Jake yeah, well, I think Daniel Rich. I was very surprised he didn't make the 40. I thought he's had a great, a great season uh, for the Lions. Um, think he's really flourished with Luke, playing alongside someone like Luke Hodge. He's, he's always been a great ball user, but I think this has been a, a clear career best season for him. Pinpointing targets through the middle, setting up a lot of playoff halfback. He's been exceptional for the Lions and, and one of the... The, the reasons that they've surged up the ladder. I know, Walsh, Matt, you've been re- keeping a clean eye, uh, a close eye on, on Daniel Rich for most of this season. I, I remember you multiple times telling me that you've loved the intensity and the leadership he's shown when for most of his career he's looked like he's cruising. Yeah, a little bit. And, and not only his leadership skills, which I think Jake was pretty spot on when he said that Luke Hodge, having Luke Hodge sort of arm in arm down there on the back flank has been incredible for his career. But also his decision making, I think, has really improved. Obviously, we know he's a really long kick, um, loves to belt the leather off the footy. But I think this year he's he's managed to lower the eyes a bit. Another Hodge influence, I think. Uh, lower the lower eyes the a bit. Lower the eyes. Christian's favourite saying. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> actually, <laughs> How do you actually point. lower your eyes? Um, 
uh, actually, I've got another. Speaking of, I've got another nomination for footyisms later on, but I'll, I digress. Um, but he has lowered the eyes, uh, and he targets a lot more, be- uh, a lot better, and and has sort of seen the game, I think, from a slightly different perspective. And you're right, I think he is stiff to miss out on, on being at least in the forty. So I think he's stiff as well, and and it is. It's probably a little bit um of intangibles in his game. So it's quite interesting to look at his numbers. They've all gone backwards from the last previous two years. So fewer disposals, slightly uh, slightly lower disposal efficiency, higher impact, fewer though. player rating points. Correct. But I think because the team's winning and he is sort of making those better decisions, they're sort of some of the things that don't come up in the numbers. Mm. But it was quite funny. I was, I was big on Daniel Rich in round 16 or 17, thinking he had a career best season. And it was pointed out to me that it's probably more, it's the team and it's what's happening after the next disposal and chain that, that we sort of, we elevate Daniel Rich in our mind, but if you actually compare him to what he's been doing previous years, he's actually, you know, he's been as good as he ha- is this year f- for the last four years. Hmm. Just not getting the same would amount of credit. Have, would not have, would not have picked that. Uh, any names from you, Neil? Yeah, well, I've got another, I guess, halfback flanker, which I thought was really stiff to miss. Maybe, maybe it's a year where there's a lot of really dynamic, you know, playmakers. We've got a few stiff halfback flankers, and, and you're right. Yeah, so I, I've gone for Zach Williams from the Giants. I thought, I thought that he was really close to m- making the team. Um, another um, heads up for our listeners: we've got ESPN's um, All Australian team going out on Tuesday afternoon, and Zach Williams is right on the mix of, of being in the 22. So. He was um, ranked number six across the league in kicks and number seven for metres gained this year. Um, and I think he might get a little bit overlooked. There's so many good players at the Giants. He might only be their fifth or sixth or seventh most talented, but I think he's produced a year in that position where he should be in the squad at the I think he's least. always started behind the eight ball for his profile because he, he was a pick 70 or a rookie elevation or something. So he hasn't come in with that high high draft pick number attached to his name. He's always been just in the background, mm-hmm. but he's been a star for this the last been three huge. years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple of other Giants who might have been stiff. Phil Davis had a pretty good year. I saw a stat that he was number one for intercept marks this season. I mean, that's no mean feat considering mm. what you've got over uh, in at West Coast. Uh, Lockie Whitfield played 16 games, but was pretty bloody good in, in those 16 games. Could have been stiff. Even Steve Keneally. I mean, I know I think he played one one short of the, the cutoff, but I mean, he was... He was close to a lock before he got injured. You're not wrong. Uh, Nick Vlossen, pretty stiff as well. Robbie Tarrant in defence had a, had a really good year. I mean, the names go on. And, and one that's going to kind of segue into our next little uh, talking point about this, Mitch Robinson's had a pretty good year on a wing, Jake. Uh, is it time that we sort of start taking all Australian selection with wingers more seriously? Well, I would say no. <laughs> okay. But this I is know contentious. I know that all of you disagree with that because, I mean... <sighs> It's it's difficult because we the wing position, as you've said before, Christian, it's kind of become almost not a new position, but it's getting recognised more so as these are players that play on a wing rather than this is just someone that is happens Correct. to be standing here when the ball's bounced, yep. sort of thing. So there is a wing a, a wing player, and we don't compare a forward to a half back uh, to say, oh well, he, this forward's better than this half back that's in the team. No, because they're different players. So I get that. But I think if I want, if I'm trying to win a game of football and I'm picking an all Australian team is supposed to be the best team to go and play a game, I mean, I'm I'm taking someone like Pendlebury over Robinson. I mean, <laughs> simple as that. So this is where I think it's and it's clouded in terms of what is the all Australian team, what's the purpose of it? Is it exactly the way you sold it? Then if you're trying to pick a team that's going to go out and play and you want to pick 22 great players and enough defenders and forwards to stop goals, kick goals, and midfielders, yes, you, you stack it with your best midfielders. But I would have thought the All-Australian team is recognising everyone in a specific role. So that is why we have a full-back. That's why we have a centre-half-back, a ruckman. Wing is its own position. I think um, there's a little bit of um, disconnect between... And again, I'm only guessing this. I'm, I'm probably in the media side of things. I think clubs will rate wingers very, very highly. They'd have defensive wingers, uh, 
stoppage wingers, you know, forward running wingers and all that sort of stuff. They'd have very specific roles and they'd have only two or three options to play on each wing. Uh, whereas in the media, I think they sort of think, oh, no, they're, they're just the extra midfielder. Just another midfielder. Um, so to me, if the team comes out and you've got Lockie Neal on a wing and everyone says, oh, that's fine because he's one of the best midfielders, I personally think Brisbane would not use Lockie Neal on a wing because he doesn't have the, the, the tools that they want from their winger. They've got Mitch Robinson on one side, nice and tough, going to come in and hit mm. people off the line, long kick, good <laughs> ball mover. McCluggage is your, you know, your sort of Rolls Royce and, you know, your... Um, run what past for a handball receive and finish it off and, yeah, send it inside <laughs> 50, yeah. Um, so, yeah, clearly there is going to be... A, 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 I feel like looking at the squad, there's two genuine wingers in there, McCluggage and Gaff. I don't think they're both going to make it if any of them make it. So I'll be interested to see which two players they sort of put on the wing. I completely agree with you, Christian, because as a, as a Melbourne supporter, I have watched with so much frustration and horror that, that good we, the Melbourne Footy Club doesn't seem to have any really traditional wingman that can play that role. And we and the Goodwins tried to put Brayshaw and, and Oliver and, and Nathan Jones on a wing, and they're just inside midfielders. And, 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 and types. They're, they, they're not they don't work. They're yeah, hopeless yeah. on the outside. They're really good on the inside, so I, you know, I think that there is a specialised position now that that should be maybe more recognised when we're picking teams. Well, like Jake this. is in charge of the midfield of our uh, all Australian team, so we'll have to see who he goes with when Aim that gets released. <laughs> it's time to move on. How about stat with Champion Data? Uh, the beauty of having Champion Data input for this segment, and it is a pretty decent segment as we've come to know over the over the weeks. Uh, is that we get the scoop on uh, some of the best that Champion Data has to offer. And Christian's gone away, and he's got us an early look at Champion Data's end-of-season awards. Take it away. What have we got? Yep, so I've rolled out the red carpet and trying to get in early. <laughs> so what, we've got All-Australian tomorrow, and I think AFL MVP the next night oh, yeah. on Thursday. First but is the, the worst, second but is most the most importantly. Yeah, exactly, these are the most important awards. So they should uh, yeah, kick the award season off. So... Um, we do a, a publication at the end of every year, the AFL Prospectus. Uh, I think we're coming out with our 14th edition for 2020. And uh, one of very, the things... Very good read. Decent read. One of the things we sort of do, um, just for a bit of fun, for the last seven or eight years, we've actually had um, Champion Data Awards, and we've given different categories and try to come up with a little bit of uh, quirky names for them and just looking at straight who is the leader in this one stat that sort of uh, talks about it. So again, I'll probably start with the trophy name. Okay. And I'll get you guys to guess what the award... Uh, I can give you the trophy name and the player name if you want, and you can guess what the award is if you want. Or just give us give a trophy, trophy name. name. There's a few quirky ones. Maybe explain what. Have you, hold on, have you seen these already? I've seen, I've seen a couple, so I'm not going <laughs> to guess the first one. Well, I'll, I'll start with the first one. The first one's the Adam Saad Trophy. Running bounces. Running so, bounces. Correct. Most people would go to that, but this is actually so. This is the top award. This is for your number one player, ranked player for the year. So the reason it's called Adam Saar Trophy is he holds the world record, and we'll call it a world record, <laughs> for champion data ranking points in a, a a sanctioned game. So in under 16 level, he was playing for, I think, the world team against Pacific 22, and he got 360 ranking points. Oh, boy. Um, so yeah, that two, sounds like Archie Thompson against two, American 200, Samoa. Yeah, correct. 200 is a very big score, and he got 360. So Wow. How many we, running bounces in there? Oh, yeah, exactly. I'm sure, there was, I'm sure there was plenty in there. But uh, So that's, that's, that's a good the, award. That's the uh, name of the trophy for our number one ranked player for the year. So that was Brody Grundy across the year for Collingwood. Ended up with the most ranking points Makes of sense. any player across the year. All Australian lock. Uh, so the second one might be a, a bit... Um, self-explanatory but future freak so again in the AFL prospectus we sort of have a fantasy persona who's the fantasy freak okay yep um, so this is the future freak so it's it's got to be Walsh I'd imagine the, it's got to be the Warpedo I reckon Sydney Stack yes yes he, uh, sorry yeah, ESPN's very own Sydney Stack so uh, <laughs> did you say had you seen that no I had not seen that so no, yeah most good. most AFL rating points by a first year player that one oh, is first. I'm surprised it wasn't Walsh but anyway well, go on no Sydney should take that because he's not going to get the rising stars so yeah. take any award you can at this point <laughs> uh, so Mr. Consistent 
Pendlebury. Well, clearly, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> hold on. In terms of ranking points, the most consistent player. Yeah. So we use rating points rating for this one. Points? So Bont. We've actually uh, just spoken about him two or three minutes ago. To oh, say, Mitch Robinson. No, Daniel Rich. So as oh, I was saying, yeah. so he's had a consistent season. He's actually been consistent. Yeah. Get for him four in the years, squad. What's going on? Yeah. Uh, so the most. Oh, sorry. The award name is Rising Stocks. So the most improved player. Again, we've gone with most improved player looking oh. at your previous career high average to your new average this year. So not looking at just last year versus this year as someone who's risen again. Rowan Marshall, our man. Uh, very well. Oh, that's a good one. He would have been up there, but Scott Lysette. So he's been the other <laughs> really? ruckman that's been... He's actually Scotty had Lysette. a phenomenal year yeah, for yeah. Port Adelaide and surprisingly was... Has been dropped at round yeah. 17. So, um, so fan favourite is... The name of the award. Sydney staff. <laughs> in this office. Yeah. He's in this office. So this he? is for the player that has the biggest ratings points difference in home versus interstate games. Oh, wow. So, plays so well the biggest downhill the skier, in other words. Well, Gee, that's tough, isn't it? So that was uh, Stephen Coniglio this year. So no, he's not a downhill skier. Get into some, the boys. some of his big games at Canberra and uh, Skoda Stadium would have helped him, uh, or Giant Stadium would have helped him there. The next award's called the Nomad. Is that the opposite of that previous Correct. award? Correct. So it's the guys that do uh, better interstate than they do at home. Nathan Jones for Melbourne got really? that one. So I think it was minimum three games interstate, and I think he just qualified for that. Um, Jesus I think one of his better qualify? games was the <laughs> Alice Spring game. I think he had a yeah. pretty good Oh, game. that counts even though it's a home game. Correct. So yeah, this okay. is just, yeah, yeah travelling so, out interstate. Yeah, um, so I will sort of say we can, we're happy to change some of the award names for some of these. <laughs> so one of the um, the next award name is the Johnny Wilkinson. So I don't even know if oh, yeah, the, in, in the, the, the English rugby player. Yep, Correct. Okay. Who was one of the um, best kicks for goal in rugby union. So we've got the best shot at goal kick rating for the year. Benny Brown. Walters. Jamie Cripps from West Coast. Mm. Jamie Cripps. Doesn't kick a lot of them, but he just doesn't miss. No, well, (laughs) he would have had, again, we would have had uh, minimum qualifications on this. I think he's had at least 15, 20. Yeah, Yeah, that's Um, interesting. I would have thought like that, if the Johnny Wilkinson, like the clutch kicks for goal, who kicks the most like goals within six points in the last quarter or something. Yeah, (laughs) who kicks the most goals after the side. Who sort of kicks them from anywhere, really? So that's Jamie Cripps. Uh, One of my favourite names for the awards, the Ted Mosby. <laughs> so, who is Ted Mosby? So Ted Mosby is from How, How I you? Met Your Mother, <laughs> um, and he's sort of his character on the show. He's obviously trying to find love, and he's the narrator of the story. But he's also one of the best wingman. So he sort of helps uh, his friend Barney, Barney Stinson right. do quite well with the ladies in the bar. Right. So number one score assist player for the year gets the Ted Mosby Award. Harry Himmelberg, Gary Ablett. And Tom Hawkins won that one. Yes, so oh, he's, he's always been underrated yeah. for how well he assists Tom Hawkins. Yeah, that's why he uh, might award. or might not be in our All-Australian team. So the next award is the Barney Stinson. <laughs> Keeping on the same team. So similar, yeah. So this is the highest percentage of goals that were assisted. <laughs> the the highest good. percentage of goals that were assisted. Who gets the most? Joe the Gooses. Ah. No, not even that. That's, if you, does that include bit, like any yeah, marks on lead? It does include those, but it's mark on lead. So it's Josh Kennedy at West Coast. Yeah. Um, and then the Mr. DIY, which is your lowest percentage of goals assisted. So who sort of, you know, won their own footy and Dustin Martin. goals. Similar sort of player. Very, not not quite right, but very similar. I was going to say a guy that you can sort of picture Danger. winning his own ball in the midfield, kicking it from outside 50. Think uh, Danger. more northern. More northern. Dane Zorko? Correct. There you go. So Dane Zorko. Um, yeah, kicking his own goals. Um, so another one we've got is Teacher's Pet. So that's uh, best free kick differential of every player. And I think oh, right. this guy's name's been guessed about three or four times. Benny Brown? Yes, yes. correct. So yeah. he had the best one. And the uh, the naughty corner. So the worst free kick differential. <laughs> so Shane Mumford. Correct. Yeah. There you go. These are good. I like these. Didn't you give so, away like nine in one game? <laughs> so again, we've got about uh, 15 or 20 of these awards. So um, keep an eye out. Um, 
I'm sure we'll be able to retweet via ESPN as well, but we might sort of start releasing some of these awards as we sort of release the prospectus later these in the year. These are great. So. Fun. Excellent. <laughs> I had good fun with that. Uh, let's move on. I've had a gutful. All right, Jake, it's uh, your turn to shine, and I know you're pretty passionate about what you're going to have a rant about this week. Yeah, well, there's someone standing next to me that I'm pretty disappointed in. His name's Matt Christian. Walsh. Oh, me? <laughs> yeah. You know, I came in on Monday and you told me that Lockie Neal's game against the Tigers was not even a game that will get him a Brownlow vote. And that is something oh, I no, cannot that's, believe. That's wrong. I, I said he wasn't going to get three votes. You said he wouldn't get a vote. Well, I don't know if I said that. And so how good was his game, though? What, did he get it, 25 touches or...? I, I think the young man had 51 disposals, 25 contested. There's his problem right there. You, you don't get 50 disposals in an AFL game or you'll just get smashed. It's well, happened this is to Gary Abbott previously, Matt Crouch. This is the Mitchell. thing. Matt Crouch on the same day had 47 for the Crows and people will say, oh, Matt Crouch, he had a pretty good game. Lockie Neal, 51. Oh, I didn't have any impact. Everyone, Matt, Matt Crouch won't be getting a vote. As, as, soon as, he, as soon as he crossed the 50, I just had to go on Twitter just to see what everyone was saying and sure enough it was oh and it's not just you Matt you said it but it's everybody else it's it's what impact did he have I was at the game didn't even notice he was playing oh he's not that good he's overrated oh 51 disposals he doesn't have any impact and all this stuff as I said 25 contested 14 clearances a, a game high the next highest was 8 Jared Lyons no Richmond player had more than 5 so he's had 9 more than the next best Richmond player 753 assisted metres gained that's oh, the second that. most of any player in any game this season. And a, t- a net meters gained of over 1,100. I mean, that is a game that is going to get you three Brownlow votes every day of the week. And to suggest that he wasn't... Don't, uh, Dusty was good. Oh, no no doubt. Dusty played well. Vlosten played well. Hooley played well. But Neil was the best player on the ground. Um, I- I'd just like for you to retract something. You said that Neil won't get a Brownlow vote. I said if Neil gets three votes, the system is broken. That is here in writing. Transcribing our conversation. <laughs> uh, no, I thought um, in terms of influence, I thought Dustin Martin probably was was a match winner for Richmond when the game was in the balance very early. Uh, I think he only had four disposals in the first quarter, so I, I don't. I think he played well. He kicked that nice goal from the square, but four pretty I, good I don't disposals. Think he did much more in the first quarter. Dane Zorko, well. twenty-seven touches and two goals himself, nearly got the lines back into it. Zorko was important, no doubt. Yeah, I, th- I think what what hurt as soon as someone gets fifty, much like Tom Mitchell has in the past. I think as soon as someone, someone gets 50, people assume they've been stat padding. Like if, yeah. if you said Lockie Neal had 39 touches, bunch of clearances, tackles, everyone would be like, wow, that's a game. But as soon as you, you reach that ridiculous level that only gets there every year or so, so there's a bit of an in-joke with us. So we used to have the stat that stinks, and that used to be <laughs> having more handballs than kicks. So about 04, 05, no, no team was sort of playing with bit of a Scotty so many West. more handballs. So whenever you saw a team have more handballs than kicks, you didn't even have to look at the score. They were going to lose. They got flipped on its head, obviously, by Geelong 2007-8. But it's almost like we're sort of, we've had quoted recently, in, is the stat that stinks now 50 disposals? Because it is. The vitriol you get for picking up 50 disposals is amazing yeah. from the public. I, I don't understand it. I'm not saying he's not going to get a vote, Jake. I'm saying that he probably, and because his team right, didn't win, forget that. he could he will poll two, for instance. Yeah, but forget that. Why should it matter if your team wins or not? Because you're one of 22. You're doing, you're, he's the best player on the ground. I'll make a bet with you right now. He gets the three Brownlow votes for that game. Well, How much you want to stake on it? I, I don't bet on AFL, Jake. Well, we're not. We're not allowed it's, to. A, it's a side bet, you and I. <laughs> uh, I don't bet against you because yeah, you do a nice this bottle, for a living. A nice bottle of scotch. <laughs> you, you do, you do, <laughs> a nice bottle of scotch. You do the whole um, poker thing for a living, so I, I know when to for a living. keep my money in my pocket. Uh, Got to know when to hold them, know when to pop them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the classic goes. Uh, yes, uh, anything else to add on, on your little uh, rant at me? Nah, that's it. Let's get moving. We're All right, let's along. move on. <laughs> And the three votes goes to... Uh, we touched on it earlier, but the Swans did miss the finals this year. First time since 2009. Uh, but they did have a great day on, on Saturday when they played St Kilda in the Pride match. 
Um, a really good, uh, really good outing for them. Buddy kicked a bag in his 300th. They're they were never going to lose that game, were they? No, never, never a chance. Got close a little bit. We were at the basketball watching the score yeah. and it got close, but we thought they no, can't lose his Buddy's 300th. All either. those players. Well, retiring. they got to a point where uh, the fans were literally telling players on the bench, "You got to get Kieran Jack a goal. You got to get Kieran Jack a goal." Apparently, that actually did happen because of the fan intervention. That's they moved awesome. him from the back pocket and up he went and kicked one. So look, they all had a good day out. Uh, the Swans retiring legends were, were chaired off, but. Probably one of the best moves and the classiest moves, and Neil, you've you noticed this as well, uh, was that Dan Hanabry, who obviously used to play for Sydney, but now plays for St Kilda, helped uh, chair off the uh, the Sydney players, and, and I thought that was a really touching move, and, and he and the Swans and the Saints get the three votes from me this week. Fair enough. Uh, we are here for footytips.com.au. It is the end of the season for some competitions. Some obviously run into finals, but there are some who just go uh, home and away season only. We're looking to have a few uh, stats next week about who the overall winners are. We might try and chase those up, Neil. Mm-hmm. But in lieu of some uh, bi-week footy tip stats, why don't we go around the table and give our big finals tip? It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, teams that are going to win, but just a big call for the finals. Jake, let's kick it off with you. Well, we just spoke about betting and, and making money. So if, if if you want to make some money, listen to this. <laughs> I did say at the start of the year, Lockie would win the Brownlow medal. He's the second favourite at the moment. He probably isn't, but he's he's certainly going to be better than the 40-1 to one shot at the start. I'm going to give you the name of the Norm Smith medalist four weeks out. Put money on him. He's a 100-1 to one shot. Dylan Grimes. He's going to get it. Think about this. This is a guy that's now... Look, we fall in love with stories in football, especially in these kind of awards where this we get people... Where Chris Collinsworth over here. <laughs> Huh? Never mind. <laughs> We've got people voting on it. Grimes, everyone's fallen in love with Grimes. He's a great player, but no Alex Rance has meant he's got to step up and, and hold that defence together. He's had an enormous season. He's going to be an All-Australian lock. And if Richmond get to the grand final, which right now you'd say they're the favourite to get to a grand final, the way they're playing, and he has a good game, he gets it. How many defenders win major awards, though? That well, they don't, but, but we're not talking about major awards. Look, Brian Lake won the, won yeah, the Norm yeah, Smith. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, they happen. But you get, it's more likely to win a Norm Smith. He's not going to win a Brown, though, yeah, but he's, gonna, he's way more likely to win a Norm Smith. I know they have different people voting each year, different committee. I would love to see who voted on Brian Lake, and then I'd love to see this year's committee. Mm. If there's one or two a defenders, few key defenders on there, in there. Yeah, I'll yeah. be having Grimes up there as well. <laughs> Big call from you, Christian. Because Dusty won't get it again because there was he, he probably shouldn't have got it last time. Maybe Hooley. Maybe Hooley gets gets his... How's the rich people their money? But I'm just saying... There's still eight teams left in it. Dusty's a ten dollars shot at the moment. So Grimes you're saying for value, okay? Grimes is for value. Get on Dylan Grimes. All right, let's move on. Christian, you're a big uh, tip for the finals. <sighs> this this pains me to say because I really, really don't want it to happen, but I could see it happening. Uh, Brisbane to go out straight sets, oh. combined margin of hundred points oh. for the two finals. Wow. Disaster. Hopefully, you all can what, what give me crap, you, you know, in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Shooting Bambi over here. Uh, just just the finals experience. I just feel like Richmond is the worst possible one. So Richmond can really break Brisbane this week. I hope not, and I'm, I would be barracking for Brisbane to win. But if Richmond get a bit of a jump on, seven goals to zip first quarter, Brisbane might just, the self-doubt will start to tip, you know sink in. I think if Richmond put them away week one, that could really break them for whoever gets them week two might be getting a broken Richmond. And again, I hope I am wrong. I have been pretty impressed with the Lions, how they have been quite resilient. I know they would, even in the game against Richmond at the G, I mean, they were... Oh, two they goals they could point. easily have just fallen away, and it could have been a 10-goal loss. But they rallied, and they, they, were, they were one goal away mm. from that being massively game on again. Mm. So Dane Zorko dragged them um, back into it. Most it might have been back to line. seven points, actually. What am I talking about? Yeah, it was game on, but they Richmond's just got the other gears. I can see it happening. I don't know whether they'd lose by combined 150 points, but I, I unfortunately, I could see it, them both going out, them going out in strokes. Neil? 
I've got a bit of a left field one here. That's not not Mason Cox to Mason have Cox, a big impact. Probably my worst call of the year. Actually, no, there's probably a fair few around that mark as well. My, my big tip is that trade talk will dominate the next month more so than any action on the field. We we can see in our digital metrics any trade story is just hugely surpasses any interest, and you can see it in the talk shows. You can see all mm. the interest. It should be the action on the field the next five weeks, but everyone loves trade season everyone loves free agent talk so I reckon that's going to be the biggest point of, of conjecture over the next month it's a great call because especially after the first week of finals uh, there are fewer teams who are still interested in the on-field action and mm-hmm. there are you know 10 then 12 then 16 teams that are all of a sudden uh, more interested in the off-season than they are on, on the action on the field so I actually quite like that call uh, my big finals tip uh, and I think you agree with me Neil is that I could see speaking of straight sets uh, the Cats going out in straight sets oh. Uh, they've lost the mental game already. So you're picking the Cats and the Lions, the Oaten Straits, the two best teams of the year. They they have lost the mental game already because Chris Scott continues to allow uh, the rhetoric about the GMHBA home final slash MCG um, stuff to dominate the headlines. And kind of like their post-buy uh, record where they've finally admitted that just talking about it is, is impacting on the players' minds. This has got to be... This has gotta be playing on the players as, as they go and play a home final at Collingwood's home ground. Yeah, well, and then uh, you mentioned the buy factor too. So they've, they've, got, to, they've got to overcome that. They've got to overcome yes. a, a Collingwood team that, that seems to be playing, you know, better as the seasons or, you know, in the last month or so, they're mm. starting to get Mr. better. Mr. September, Jaden Stevenson yes, coming back. Yes, and Mr. September's with Brody Grundy <laughs> as well. But yeah, I, I could, you stole that. Old, we, we came to the same agreement when we did our pre-podcast meeting that the Cats were going to go out in straight sets. So I don't think they're that great a team yet. Yeah, I could see them losing to the Pies, who who are hitting form again. Not the form they had in the first half of the year, but they're hitting some form again uh, this time of the flag. year. What are you talking about? Who? Cats. Well, they could, well, could. but they could easily let this uh, nonsense get to their minds and, and lose the first week and then go out packing the next week uh, also at the MCG. Hey, that's all we got uh, time for. But before we go, make sure you do uh, subscribe to our podcast. We've got a few more left before the end of the season. Uh, but in the meantime, we will speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.